This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We wish you a happy Thursday. It's December 8th. Jesperson and Hicks here live from the Real Talk studio in uh, Edmonton's historic Mercer Warehouse. Uh, how you doing, pal, this morning? I'm doing pretty good. You? Good. I wanted to kick off the show with a quick mention before we go any further to let you know that registration is now open uh, for the second annual Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. It's hey. coming up Saturday, February 4th. 2023, we're going to have 36 teams there. We know this one's going to sell out, so I don't want anybody that's going to want to participate in this uh, with a team. Uh, you can register a team of four or five skaters. You can register as a volunteer. And of course, we would love if you registered as a sponsor, uh, as a corporation, as an agency, as an organization to benefit the affiliated charities with the Canadian Progress Club in St. Albert. It's going to be a wonderful day celebrating uh, the true expression of Canadiana, John. And you're going to be there spinning tunes the is, whole time as well. Is well, that because you know it's going to be minus 40? You know day? what it was? Like, you know, it was too warm. It was almost too warm last year. Really? Uh, at one point, it was six degrees Celsius. You want to have, like, for pond hockey, you want to have a minus 10 is, like, the perfect temperature yeah. for pond hockey. It's not too cold. Your, your toes aren't going numb. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the ice holds up. And we had such a beautiful day last year that at some point, some surf, you know places on the ice surface, there was actually just the tiniest little bit of sheen of water. Ooh. And so we'll hope for, like, a minus 5 to minus 10 day. It's going to be out at Larry Alexiak Field. The city of St. Albert rolls out the red carpet for us. So you go to ryanjesperson.com. You click on events and then pond hockey. It's really easy to find. And that's where you can register your team for the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. A team, a volunteer, or a sponsorship opportunity awaits you. ryanjesperson.com. Just check out the events link. Will you be taking requests on that day, Johnny? Are you gonna, <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel about that? People giving you requests when you're DJing. I don't mind at all. I'm not one of those, <clears throat> I, wanna, eh, I only play what I want to play. Okay. Play what the people want. Because you and I are going to be, uh, we're, we're sort of co-quarterbacking a corporate Christmas party next Friday. That's going to be fun. Uh, it's our friends at Apex Automation. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. And, uh, I had a meeting with their, their team yesterday, and they said, we're putting together a whole list of requests for Johnny. Great. And I that went, makes, oh boy. Makes my job easy. I'll just <laughs> play that. Amazing. You know, the one guy on their team that's really sort of you know he's really in, he's in charge of kind of the vibe of the party he says to me the only list i'm making for johnny are songs we don't want to hear that's and nice I, said, okay. I like that i said well give me an example he yeah. says summer of 69 i said it's a christmas party pal come on i don't think he's gonna play summer of 69 at your christmas no. party you never know though no. you never know sharon <laughs> Morin's going to be joining us in just a second from montreal she is an ardent supporter a regular supporter of this show of real talk and uh, she's a mover and shaker herself she was at cop 27 in egypt she's at cop 15 in montreal right now and we're super excited to have her making her real talk debut in just a moment and there's actually a bit of a theme on today's show uh aggie agatha smycott's going to join us from Chechia, from the Czech Republic, mm-hmm. coming up in about a half hour's time. Uh, she's a, a Real Talk supporter. She's a subscriber and a regular listener. She's a, She's been involved in, in, in candid commentary, like citizen commentary of Alberta politics for a long time. But that's not what she's doing over there. It's not necessarily why we're having her on the show. We love checking in with audience members who make Real Talk a part of their regular routine from somewhere else on planet Earth, outside 
Canada's borders. You know, you, you'll remember we've gone in past to Damascus, Syria, as an example, to, to talk to real talkers. And we have some other international interviews lined up in the weeks and months to come. So so we're looking forward to that. Of course, last night into this morning, it was just about I mean, if you're listening to us live streaming right now, it's, it's just after 830 in the morning mountain time. The Alberta legislature lights were on that one, even two o'clock in the morning as Daniel Smith's. Do I call it the Controversial Sovereignty Act Bill 1 passed third reading, which means it will become law. This is, uh, of course, the the first, uh, what do you want to call it? The the the, uh, the, the, the Daniel Smith is, is making good on her promise to those that, that put her into office through her United Conservative Party leadership race. She says she's going to change the tone of this fight with Ottawa. She's not necessarily using the word fight, but that's what it is. And in her comments last night after that bill passes, She's raised some eyebrows as she said, quote, it's not like Ottawa is a national government. And I know people have raised their eyebrows like, what do you mean by that? It is indeed the federal government. But the premier of Alberta went on to say the way our country works is that we're a federation of sovereign, independent jurisdictions. Uh, They are one of those. The federal government is one of those signatories to the Constitution and the rest of us as signatories to the Constitution, have a right to exercise our sovereign powers in our own areas of jurisdiction. So that from Alberta's Premier, Rachel Notley, the leader of the official opposition, has already vowed that if her party forms government in May of next year, that they will repeal this. Uh, She says it's a disgrace. And so this will become, if not the election issue in Alberta in the spring, certainly an election issue we're already hearing from real talkers you know our email address talk at ryanjesperson.com and of course you can hit us up in the live chat we'll look to that today in our uh, hashtag real talk rj powered by our friends at park power cheryl cc'd us on a message to her mla it's miranda rosen uh, out of banff and Cheryl, uh, who, who obviously Johnny lives in one of the most beautiful places in the world, if her mm-hmm. MLA is, is the representative for Banff Kananaskis, uh, Cheryl writes into her MLA CCing Real Talk, says, I have thought long and hard uh, whether or not I'm going to contact your office with my opposition to the Sovereignty Act. My thoughts, why bother? My MLA probably approves of it. And if she doesn't approve, she's sure not going to speak out on it. It may be a waste of my time to write. Cheryl, remember, it's never a waste of your time. She says, every time I've contacted the office, I've been in clear opposition to to your opinions. She's writing to her MLA, to your votes, to your actions. She says, like many of my friends and neighbors, I've felt unheard and helpless under this provincial government. But today, says Cheryl, uh, she sent this just about an hour ago. I have decided to write. I, I have to tell you that I and many like me will be working as hard as I can to remove this government in May. I don't need or want a response to my absolute opposition to the passing of the Sovereignty Act of Bill 1. I just want you to know, MLA Rosen, that I disapprove. You don't represent a majority of your constituents, and that's it. So that's from Cheryl, a real talker. There's going to be people that are totally impressed by this. There's going to be people that are pretty, quite frankly, stoked about it. Uh, this, this, This is Alberta making a clear statement, not just to the federal government, but to the rest of the country about the tone that this Danielle Smith-led government intends to take in the context of so-called sovereignty. So how will this play out? Uh, To state the obvious, this is what everybody's going to be keeping an eye on over the next number of months. And how Premier Smith navigates this is going to say a lot about what her chances of getting elected look like in a general election in May. How much saber-rattling versus actual action or 
tangible progress will there be? What does sovereignty look like with regards to the initiatives that this provincial government takes? And how does this all play out? And what does it mean to the average Albertan? When it comes down to it, that's all people care about. The act itself was amended to remove some of those sweeping powers that cabinet was going to have when it came to the criticisms around uh, being undemocratic. That was the number one thing that had to change. That was the number one thing that prompted Premier Smith to send this thing back to the drawing board. Not everybody gave her credit for that. Some did. But what passed last night remains uh, with some questions around not just the constitutionality of it. I mean, Alberta's Lieutenant Governor right now has acknowledged. You don't hear this often. You don't hear it too frequently. She's acknowledged that she's going to consult. She's going to get her own legal advice. It's her job not to sign off on anything, not to grant royal assent to anything that is unconstitutional. Could there be a storyline there? We'll wait and see. We'll see how well this thing has been drafted. But when it all comes down to it, the people will decide whether or not this is something that sets the tone that the four and a half million or so people that call Alberta home want to say, that they want to send that message to the rest of the country. Is this it? Uh, We'll look to your comments on this. And of course, this is something that we'll cover, including with our Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber, our friends tomorrow. Our leadoff guest this morning is a project manager. She's a representative of the the, the women of the Métis Nation. She's she's a proud uh, daughter, a sister, an aunt, a mother, a cookum, and she cares very deeply about the community around her. That includes the environment, the climate, biodiversity of planet Earth. It's what's taken her to Egypt just a short time ago to COP27, the UN Climate Change Conference. And now it's why she's in Montreal at COP15 as Canada hosts the world for conversations on biodiversity. She's a great friend of this show. She's making her Real Talk debut. Sharon Morin, it's so nice to see your face and welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. You and I resolved to do this. We made a plan to get you on the show when we met live for the first time at the at the live taping of the Strategist podcast. And, and here you are months later. I'm glad we were able to make it happen. You're in Montreal right now? Yeah. Yeah, what 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 were you there? I mean, the the festivities, the conference itself, some big government announcements, funding announcements made yesterday. What were your first uh, few hours like in Montreal at COP fifteen? Well, today will be my first full day. I'm going to go get my badge after I'm done this. Um, yesterday, I took some time and went into Old Montreal and had some dinner and uh, kind of relaxed and get myself situated and ready for the day to start today. You, uh, you're going to go pick up your badge. I want to jump to something real quick before we go any further. You just, you just received a, a new accoutrement for your lapel just a short time ago. Can, can we talk about this, uh, this Jubilee medal? I mean, that's got to be something that's pretty exciting for you. Take us into, into your thinking and where your head's at on the, after being bestowed with such an amazing honor. Well, I found out before I went to Egypt, I was supposed to, um, they had the, um, the big, um, event in Calgary in November while I was in Egypt. But when I got the email from the Museums Association, I was I was floored. Like I, I started to cry actually in my living room by myself. Um just really um like totally humbled by it. Um and then when I went there um the other the other day to get it, I brought um two very special people with me. Uh, my former boss uh, Sherry Strachan and my coworker Selena Lawyer. And um because they did the whole rode with me while I was doing that career in the media in the museum field and then my good friend Tom Hunter who works at the U of A um, museum also got a uh, uh, received a medal so he bestowed mine on me which made it really special too 
so it's just it was just it's just such an honor and my mom is like um a diamond jubilee uh recipient and so is my oldest brother so there's three of us in the family wow which i find interesting that have gotten these uh these uh, these medals so the family's got two diamond jubilee medal winners and a platinum jubilee medal winner it, it, it goes to say something what were what were uh afternoons or evenings like what were mornings like on saturdays around the the family table was there was was this a uh, something where a, a conviction of, of community service of of service to to those around yeah. you uh, was you that know when you talk when you talk about your family and your family dinners you know um mine were very similar except they were just highly uh, focused on metis and mm -hmm. it was always like what have you done today what are you doing in the community who have you helped today um and that kind of upbringing so my mom was a real activist and um, did a lot of grassroots community-based work and then you know, as you know ended up in the canadian senate yeah so so um yeah i kind of follow and and her, she actually you know when i think about it she groomed me to do what i'm doing i couldn't do it i wouldn't do this i couldn't have done it without her well i was going to so. say they're they're like huge shoes to fill uh which is incredible but 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 you're walking miles in those shoes and it's remarkable I want to talk to you about, I mean, in, in a particularly Métis perspective, uh, an Indigenous perspective in, in the context, I mean, you're, you're going to be attending COP uh, in Montreal. You were at the climate change conference in Egypt, right there for, for what, the better part of two weeks. Um, yeah. can, can you can you talk to us about what you were doing over there and, and some of the perspectives that you were helping to share and maybe some of the progress that you believe that you made or some of the high water moments? Yeah, no, I was there with um, the Métis National Council as part of their delegation. We're the first Métis delegation to attend any of the um, COPs. Um, people uh, from the organizations have attended before, but they went as, you know, as uh, independent people or on their own, not with a team. So there was a group of us, some went the first week and then the rest of us finished. They go to the technical side, they kind of prep and get everything ready for us and let us know what's going on. And then we come in the, you know, the second, the second part and we go and attend in particular the side events, um, Indigenous People's Caucus every day I attended, which was fascinating because it's um, Indigenous people from around the world that are in attendance there and um, finding out what's uh, in particular on the agenda and then going and finding those events that um, relate to those um, agenda topics and then going back and reporting the next morning to caucus about what was talked about and that so we spread everybody out um I went there to um, actually sit on a panel or two. I ended up sitting on a couple of panels, but I was also there as a support. And um, everybody that I went with was under th was 35 and under. They were all young people, and I'm not that age. I'm quite a ways away from that. I heard they were calling you auntie. Yeah, so I was I was Auntie Sharon. Um, even on the stage, I was introduced. We're so grateful we have Auntie Sharon here with us. Mm. So it was really um, it was really like I loved doing that and being that for them. But they also needed that. They're the youth are carrying a heavy load and they're doing this work and they're very action based. And um, there were times when they just needed that hug or that piece of sage or you know just that reassurance that they're doing the right thing hmm. i we we put it out to the audience and i was asking people if they're caught we asked uh, around cop 27 in egypt and we're asking it now around montreal and i don't mean to be cynical i'm just curious to know where people are at like do you have 
actual expectations that something tangible will come from this. Or you talked to a, a rep from the Nature Conservancy of Canada the other day, and, and as part of that conversation, going, you know, there were goals set in the 90s, there were goals set in the early 2000s, there were all these goals and plans and, and, and nations from across, you know, across the planet signing on with the exception of the U.S. in a lot of circumstances. And, and really, none of the targets had been met, none of the goals had been met. In the context of an indigenous perspective or, or indigenous tradition with regards to land management or environmental protection or sustainability or, or rehabilitation in the context of biodiversity, do you sense that there's an actual uh, respect for or interest in that indigenous perspective from the general collective? Did you pick up on that in Egypt? One of the things that, because um, this was the, Egypt was the first COP that I went to, um, is that this is the first time that the Indigenous people have been so um, front and centre and have had their own pavilion um, and so forth. It's also the first time that the youth have been as involved as they are um, this you know, this year, this go around with these cops. For so, what I see is that you know there were these things that they talked about in the '90s and early 2000s, and that, but they never did really include a solid Indigenous voice and Indigenous uh, participation in it. Um, you know, our knowledge is our science, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do here is starting to try to change some of the wording around what we know as our science, because our science is just as on par if not more than what you learn um, to become a scientist. You know, when you live on the land and you have generations teaching you about that land, it's it's knowledge that's like in your DNA. It's blood, it's blood knowledge, you know. So there's more of a connection there. So I I see for me, what I see is a real opportunity to have these two come together and respect one another and work alongside to try to start to change what's going on. Mm. I also see the youth here as being the youth are action based. They, you know, talk is cheap. They want, they want action. And I see them really being participatory, not just in their, um, not just in the protest, because that, that's just what, that's just what they show on the media. I'm talking about young people being involved in the panel discussions, being involved in the negotiation processes and learning all of that so that there's more of a fulsome conversation with everybody involved. Interesting uh, to see yesterday. I mean, making a big splash. The federal government, as as COP kicks off in Montreal, it was uh, December seventh. You know, depending on when you're listening to this, Wednesday the conference gets going, and Canada committing eight hundred million dollars. Uh, to support indigenous-led conservation projects. Uh, the prime minister making the announcement says the feds will spend up to $800 million to support four major indigenous-led conservation projects covering nearly a million square kilometers. Uh, the PM made the announcement at the Biosphere Environment Museum, accompanied by uh, indigenous leaders as well as uh, federal environment minister Stephen Gilbo and, uh, and others. Uh, among the projects to be funded, marine conservation and sustainability initiatives in the Great Bear Sea, Along BC's north coast, this has been championed by nearly 20 First Nations in the area. Also protections for boreal forests and lands across the Northwest Territories and Nunavut. What would you like to see? What would be a top priority when we're talking specifically? The focus of this conference will be on biodiversity. Uh, what's something that to you would, would mark a win uh, if, there was, if there was a considerable amount of talk, some funding, and maybe a plan coming out of it? What's one of your top priorities? Well, I think for for me personally, um, being a 
person of the prairies, you know, growing up in northern Alberta, I would like to see more focus uh, around the grasslands and more. Um, I know because you had Tom on the other day talking about it and talking about talking or talking about working with ranchers and that. Yeah. But but, but I think it's important that we um, we consider um, the other people that live on that land and maybe try to conserve more than, you know, the 30 percent or whatever it is. I'm really concerned about the grasses. The medicines that we collect, you know, I think about our sage and I think about our sweet grass. And what if we don't have that there? Mm. You know, what if that's not there for us when we want to go and do our practice, our medicine, when we want to do our, our, you know, our, 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 um, our ceremonies, um, when we want to heal ourselves? You know, my teaching about sweet grass is that it, it, sweet, sweet grass is so sacred. It's so sacred that even the buffalo don't eat it. Mm. And so, like, what would we do if we didn't have that? Like, that's what I think about. It's in my heart. Like, I feel it in my heart when I talk about this. I have the shirt on. It says Wakotuin. And Wakotuin is all my relations. And when I think of Wakotuin and using it in this sense, I am related to the rivers. I'm related to the rocks. I'm related to the grasses and the berries and the trees. All of those are my relations, and I have to protect them. That's beautiful. I, I was talking to a friend yesterday Um I don't know if what he said to me is private or not, so I won't give too many details, but he works with the Alexis First Nation in, in, in development in a senior role. And he was talking to me, sharing about how they just procured last week 200 bison, uh, and they're going to be uh, releasing these into some of the some of the lands where, where they're hoping to see uh, a return. I mean, like what you're talking about, restoring the native plants and grasses, and obviously great significance there. I appreciate you helping us understand that significance. But he was talking to me. I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but it was fascinating for me. He says so that he goes so the bison come. He goes and then the bison dung will attract certain insects, and then the insects will attract certain birds, and then the birds will attract other predators, and then the pre and he was kind of painting a pic. I mean, the bison is obviously a symbol of so much. Uh, in many different ways, quite frankly, uh, but but the but the the the, uh, the mindset around how the bison will be used to restore the bigger picture uh, was I, I he just had me on the edge of my seat. It was fascinating stuff to hear. Yeah, no, that's so true, and it's just like all my relations, you know, they're all related and they all support each other. So you know, and like at Métis Crossing, they got buffalo in or you know, I, I call them Buffalo, um, uh, in last year. So, you know, they've got those up around the Smoky Lake and the Métis Crossing. Um, they did a ceremony last year at, at Elk Island Park um, because they're having problems with evasive grasses there that don't belong. Mm. And so they're, they did a ceremony there and they're going to be doing some more um, practices or looking at other things that they can do to try to rid them of those grasses and bring back the natural grasses. Fantastic. Well, these I mean, these are the types of conversations, obviously, that thousands of people are going to be having in Montreal. And I think that the, the conference itself will prompt bigger conversations. I mean, here's the evidence right now. Uh, this podcast will be heard by thousands of people who may be thinking about this kind of thing for the very first time. Um, that's kind of our mandate every single day is to get people applying the big picture stories to their own lives and, and understanding more about what it means. I don't know if you want to get into to politics. I don't know if you want to get into any conversation outside of, of, of biodiversity and co-op, but uh, certainly this week, a huge story, the Métis Nation of Alberta members voted 97% in favor of adopting a constitution. Uh, it's being described as the largest vote in Canadian history undertaken by an indigenous nation. Uh, some great reporting by Katarina Sultz with the CBC. The results show, as I mentioned, 97% 
of the nearly 16,000 members who took part in the vote uh, to adopt the Métis government constitution, a document that will pave the way towards self-governance. Um, I want to ask you about it, if, if, you're, if you're willing and candid to talk about it, about what it means sure. and the significance of it and just your thoughts moving forward out of that vote. Well, um, the 16,000 is, I think, about 30% of the, the membership. Um, yeah, about 56,000 members. So, yeah. Yeah. There was um, there there was a small percentage that obviously disagreed. And there are some people out there that are not um, happy with it. Um, I will I will say, and I've told everybody that I did vote for the Constitution, Um like, you know, I said in my family, you know, growing up, you know, that, that was front and center around the kitchen table. My mom was in her, you know, we moved up north because she got a job with the Métis. It was then at the Métis Association of Alberta. Um, and they changed it to the nation in um, the 90s. So I remember conversation always around being in the Societies Act and how that wasn't representative of who we were as a nation. And that if we wanted to be respected and to move forward and to be a sovereign government and, you know, look after our our, our kids and, you know, those kinds of things within, within that um, government web, um, we needed to be a government. And so I think the Constitution was needed. Is it perfect? No. Um, but I think there's room to change and move. And people are scared of change, you know, I understand that. But it's 90 years We've been under, we're the, we're the longest running Indigenous government, Métis government in Alberta, 90 years. It started in St. Albert in, in the 19, late 1920s. Um, and so, you know, we, we have to have a constitution. Like, it's it's imperative. So, good. How, how do you, in, in, in this, I, I keep saying this and then I keep stopping my, I'm going to say in this age of reconciliation or this era of reconciliation, I get, and I suppose in, in one sense it's, Probably accurate, I guess, because more people in Canada are talking about it um, with regards to tangible progress being made. I guess maybe that's in limbo a little bit and everyone will have their own opinion on the steps being taken there. But the Métis perspective on it is, is a little bit it's a unique one, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit different, as is the case with every First Nation across the country. We've heard that from from indigenous leaders on uh, mass that have joined us on this show to say that an issue or a priority or, or, or the terms of reconciliation uh, for a First Nation in northern BC will be different than one in Saskatchewan, will be different than one in the Maritimes, um, for example. Uh, what does it look like to you as a, as a proud Métis woman? Reconciliation? Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, when we're all together and understanding this this history of this country we call Canada. You know, um, I think it's when we are respectful of each other um, and that's everybody. That's not just Indigenous people. And when I use the term Indigenous, I mean First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, because that's what that word means. Um, but for all people from all walks of life that come into this country, that's true reconciliation. That's what we did when the, that's what the Indigenous people, or the First Nations people did when um, the the first um, uh, people came over and, and so-called discovered, they were welcomed into this country, into this land. And I think we need to get back to that. The Métis have a unique experience because um, we um, there's a lot of us, um, a lot of the Métis that still have a very strong Catholic connection mm. um, because of the residential schools and so forth, right? So th we still have that in our community. But um, I see people just wanting to, you know, 
Métis have walked, can walk in both worlds. That's one of the things that we were, you know, historically, uh, where we used in the trade and that, because we could walk in both worlds and we have that understanding. And so I think we see it more as a coming together um, and uh, a reconciling in that way. Uh, the only thing, uh, Sharon, that people are disappointed about, as far as I can tell right now, with your appearance on Real Talk, is that they're also they're they're not getting your comments in the live chat. So th- so they're they're I missing your comment. <laughs> but, we, but we've always valued your perspective there, and I and I feel like it would just be uh, like I would I would I would regret later if I didn't if I didn't set the table for for your comments on the Alberta Legislature last night passing uh, Bill One, the Sovereignty Act. I mean, I'm sure that you'll have something to say about that before we let you get to what you got to take care of in Montreal today. Where's your head at with it all? I, I just, I don't know. I, she just kind of, I'm just kind of speechless about the whole thing. I cannot believe that there are people there that support that insanity. And that's what I'm going to call it is it's an insanity right now. And they're shoving these, trying to shove these things down our throat before the election. And um, it to a detriment of, you know, our province, but also our country. They don't know what they're stepping into when they start stepping on the toes of the treaty and the treaty rights. And um, they don't understand um, that they're treaty people too, and they're the biggest benefiters from those treaties. And if those treaties are taken away, then they lose a lot of that. Hmm. Because, you know, so they, they, they need to think about that. The one thing that I want to say before I go is I'm doing an event um, um, this coming week, and it's called Kataskanao Pamatsuin, and it's about our land is our life, and that's how um, we're taking this. And I think, you know, that's how the treaties are going to be looking at it. The land is their life, and they're not going to let that go away. Mm. Yeah, p- powerful perspective uh, from you here and and uh, from Danny Parody as well on our most recent Real Talk Roundtable just this past Friday. People can check it out. Uh, uh, she's a journalist uh, right now with APTN. She's done national reporting for many years. Uh, she's Métis herself, and, and she made some great points as well. She, I'm paraphrasing what she said, not her exact words, but she basically said that you know one of her concerns is that all this talk about Alberta's sovereignty is going to overshadow, with regards to where public dialogue is at, is going to overshadow the 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 plight or the, the the mission, let me say that that First Nations have been on in the context of sovereignty for decades, and for decades. Uh, that's something that I think needs to be on people's radar. We'll keep it on the radar here on Real Talk. Uh, thanks in part uh, to amazing uh, supporters, audience members, and, and guests like you, Sharon. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your morning in Montreal to to check in with us, and we wish you all the best out there at COP15. Marcy, uh, Ryan, you guys take care and have a good day. Yeah, you got it. We'll see you back in the live chat. Uh, when you're back from Montreal. That's Sharon Morin, a great friend of the show. Uh, Agatha Smycott coming up in just a moment uh, from the Czech Republic. Uh, it's going to be a great morning. Plus, we've got emails from Luke. Luke wants to talk about the, the C-21, the firearms ban. Martin does as well. And and I promised you we were going to read an email this morning uh, from Jenny. Uh, she's Jewish. She's got some comments on uh, Kanye West, which we're going to get into. And uh, man, oh man, it's a powerful message that she sent in to us to talk at ryanjesperson.com. These conversations are presented by our sponsors like Apex Automation. I mentioned I was out at their Edmonton headquarters yesterday. And Johnny was a super cool meeting because they had somebody zooming in from their office in Saskatoon. Nice. And they had somebody zooming in from their office in Calgary. Technology. And they had somebody zooming in uh, parked in their vehicle. They were on site with a client at one of the locations that they they were automating. Uh, And it was amazing, really, to get a sense of, of how many team members there are making 
this thing happened. This company, one of the fastest growing firms in the country for good reason. They're, they're working in serving industries in upstream oil extraction like SAG-D, uh, pipelines, natural gas processing, chemical manufacturing, potash mining, robotics. I mean, you name it. Apex is automating it with a team of talented professional engineers and technicians. Uh, in some circumstances, they know there's 15 engineers and other skilled workers that moved up here from Colombia just in the last year alone, 15 of them that moved to Canada to work for Apex. Hmm. Uh, you can check out the careers link today at apexautomation.ca. Uh, you know by now we've been telling you about these amazing deals available at McBain Camera. You can shop them online at McBainCamera.com. Well, today's special, the one that we want to talk to you about, and you can see it online, of course, is the Nikon lenses that are on special. You can save up to $500 on a huge selection of Nikon lenses during McBain's holiday sale. If you want to capture the finest detail, then consider picking up Nikon's Z. 105mm, the 105mm macro lens. It's $100 off right now. And save $200 on the ultimate, if, if you're a realtor, if you're a designer, uh, $200 off the ultimate real estate and architecture lens. That's the Nikon 14-24mm to 24 millimeter f2.8. Can shoot in low light, gives you crystal clear images. Or the Nikon Z 100-400mm to 400 millimeter lens. Perfect for shooting wildlife sporting events. $350 off right now at McBain. Uh, you can check them out online to see a full list of Nikon cameras, lenses, and binoculars all on sale now for the holidays. McBain, create to inspire. If this holiday season you're looking to spend more time with your family and less time over the stove, I mean, sometimes mashing potatoes can be therapeutic, but still, <laughs> sometimes you just want to sit down and catch up with the loved ones you don't get to see through the year. Why not let the chef-inspired team at Friesen Brothers take care of your Christmas dinner with their Ukrainian-inspired Christmas dinner box? It's available to order online right now at Friesen.com, F-R-E-S-O-N. It's easy to reheat while the table's being set. It includes treats like roasted turkey, in-store made cranberry sauce. It doesn't come out in the shape of the can. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Gravy. And I was telling you about the pierogies and that carrots and creamy dill sauce. The carrots are going to steal the show. If, you, if your house is like ours, the carrots and creamy dill sauce are going to steal the show. You can order it today at Friesen.com. And a quick shout out to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. All this talk about climate and biodiversity and regeneration and sustainability. I mean, this is their business. It goes without saying, obviously, solar energy is cleaner than fossil fuels. We know that, right? But why go solar on your home today? Well, because it's a renovation that's going to increase the value of your home and it's going to pay for itself. You'll be able to cut back on electricity costs and end your reliance on energy companies and their unpredictable rates. Get your free quote today, kubienergy.ca. Find out how much it's going to cost you and then go to the blog link on their website to learn more about the Canada Greener Homes Grant. You could get the whole project covered by a zero interest loan from the federal government. They give you 10 years to pay it back. Kubi can quarterback it for you at kubienergy.ca. Our next guest has been a great friend of the show since we launched, and uh, she embarked on her own adventure just about a year ago. Uh, Agatha Smykot, a former Calgarian, uh, who in her own words is now awkwardly navigating life in the Czech Republic. Uh, despite having a background in agriculture, uh, she works as a proposal manager right now in the automation industry. Interesting timing for that. She enjoys snowboarding. Uh, she's a huge fan of German sports cars. She's probably seeing a lot of them over there. And rage tweeting about politicians, which which Aggie, you know, 
know, we're going to talk some yep. politics today. That's going to happen. But you're making yep. your Real Talk debut. Welcome to the show. Where, where are you specifically checking in from? Uh, first of all, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. And I'm actually in my office, not my office. I snagged a meeting room just so I wasn't disturbing anybody else. Um, but yeah, I'm in the office today in Brno. Okay, in very cool. Republic. So we, we've kept you, uh, this is right, right around probably right around supper time over there, isn't it? Ish? It It is. Yeah, it's just after five o'clock. So as soon as we're done our chat, I'm going to hop on the bus and head home. Awesome. Well, thanks for staying late. We appreciate it. What, what Paint a picture no for us. Obviously, people that know the Czech Republic, people that have been lucky enough to visit know the stunning mm-hmm. beauty of that country. Tell us a bit about Brno yeah. and, and what took you over there. Uh, so Brno was not someplace that we had ever visited in the past. We've been to Prague a few times as my husband's family is Czech, but uh, so Brno was a new adventure for us, for sure. It's what's called the Czech Republic's second city. So it's the second largest city in the country. It's got about 350,000 people, permanent residents, but it's 100% a college town. I mean, there are people, there are students coming here from all over Europe. Um, the main university here is part of the Erasmus program. So a ton of students are coming here to do their Erasmus practicums. Um, and it's a really hip, bumping city, great food scene. There's always something going on. And it's it seems like it's pretty good for families as well. Mm. So we're enjoying it here. A lot of people, if, if, you know, when, when we move from Twitter into real life or when, when we go offline, people still refer to others by their Twitter handles. And, and some people are going to go, oh, my gosh, that's Aggie Loves Eggs. That's Aggie Loves Eggs. This is her in the flesh. <laughs> you, you, you worked in uh, in ag in particular. You, yes. you, you, you work in, in the poultry uh, business or in the poultry yeah. lobby for quite some time, didn't you? Can you can you refresh my I, memory? I did. Yeah, I was um, the producer services administrator at the Egg Farmers of Alberta for about two years um, before I decided to reproduce. Um, and yeah, it was it was good. It was yeah. fun. And before then, I worked in sales in poultry, and I have a degree in poultry science. So how I ended up in automation. I don't know, just circumstance, I think. Hey, life bumps us around in in weird and wonderful ways. Um, Is it fair to call you, uh, and we're just treating this like we're having coffee, so we're going to bounce around a little bit. Is it it fair to describe you as a small C conservative? Uh, Depends on what we're talking about. I'd say like fiscally, probably. um, But in terms of social issues, I'm probably definitely more towards the progressive side. I do consider myself a feminist and an ally to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and I'm I'm pretty passionate about both of those things. Mm. Isn't it interesting these days? Uh, and this will even raise the ire of some people. But real talk, isn't it interesting that when you ask somebody if they would consider themselves to be a conservative, many of them will offer the caveat that they're an ally of the LGBTQ community, and they find that that is a relevant statement to make in the context of whether or not they consider themselves to be a conservative. I always find that that says a lot, doesn't it? I, I don't know. I'm not sure what people will think when I say that. I know that there's the argument that it's not possible to be a fiscal conservative and a social progressive. But I mean, I think fiscal conservatism is not so much about reducing services, but just making government more efficient and just finding and reducing waste as opposed to making things, I guess, arguably worse for people. Hmm. So I want to show you like a page out of my playbook today as we got set to do the show. I thought we've got Sharon and we got Agatha lined up and we want to talk to Sharon about her perspective as a Métis woman and an educator Mm -hmm. at COP to talk about biodiversity. And we want to talk to you just as you're an interesting person about your first year abroad and what what, what took you over there and, 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 you know, sort of what what prompted the the adventure and what you've learned about yourself and what you've learned about Canada by being away and outside of Canada. But 
I also thought these are also two people that I can't wait to ask them about what's going on at the Alberta legislature and Alberta politics, because both of you are quite outspoken about your perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gleaned the reason why I asked for your political leanings is because I've, I've seen you mix it up on, on Twitter before. You're not shy yeah. to share your opinions. I really respect that about people. And so I'm curious to pick your brain. I mean, yeah, sure. You're sure. you're what, 15 time zones away or whatever it is. But uh, I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure that you're aware that the Sovereignty Act uh, Bill one yeah. passed third and final reading and, and, and your thoughts on, on the direction that Daniel Smith has taken this United Conservative Party, the Alberta government. Oh, I don't even know what to think of her, to be honest. Um, I I have no idea what direction she wants to take the province. It's hard to say. I think, to be honest, I think she's a little bit wacky of some of her opinions. Um, the Sovereignty Act seems like from what I've read, just really poorly written and possibly unconstitutional. So I'm just, I'm really surprised that it's being pushed so hard. What do you do? If you look into your crystal ball, how do you see the next six months going? What do you think this election is going to look like in May? Oh, good question. I mean, as much as I, I'll be honest, if I could vote as an Albertan, I would probably vote for the NDP. So I am hoping that Rachel pulls a win. Um, But I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Albertans, you know, they sometimes decide at the last minute which direction they want the province to go in. Yeah. I don't want to make any predictions. Yeah. Nobody wants to make any predictions right now. Everybody's afraid to make predictions because they don't want to wind up looking silly. I think it's I think it's going to be I don't think that the election is going to be a blowout in either direction. And, and there's an eternity uh, between now and then. I mean, there's six months mm-hmm. in politics is like, you know, we don't even remember the stories that were stories six months ago. Politicians are probably grateful for that. Uh, but yeah, what, was, what, what would it have been? That, that would in, that would influence your vote in in that direction what would be is there like one issue for you obviously you've been very passionate and informed on ag uh, but is it mm-hmm. something else or is that what would inform your vote i mean being that i'm a parent my passions have shifted from agriculture to things like childcare, healthcare, mm-hmm. um education that kind of thing and i just i think the ndp have a better idea of what's what's good for the province on all three of those things mm-hmm. how old are your kids uh, I have one. He's six and a half. Six and a half. So he's going to school yeah. there in Czech Republic. Obviously, is that is it grade he one is or is it the equivalent? Grade one. Yeah. Grade one. Yeah. How's he making yeah. the adjustment? It's been a challenge. The language barrier has been really tough for him. Um, we're very lucky that his teacher is younger and a little more progressive, because the school system here is not necessarily um, it's it's quite traditional and it's very much based on memorization as opposed to kind of a more discovery based model. Um, and the expectation for kids is that they're very well behaved, that um, that they're able to sit still and not disrupt the class. And my son's a little bit of a wild child. Um, so coupled with the language barrier, he was a little disruptive at first. But um, with the school's help, we found some resources and we're sending him to check language lessons. And so things are getting better. He's making friends and he's speaking more and more Czech every day, which is neat to see. How about you? Are you proficient in the language? <laughs> No, not even close. I can speak what I call survival check. So I can, you know, make very basic conversation with the cashier at the grocery store and like order at a restaurant. Um, But that's about it. I rely very much on my husband, who is a Czech speaker, to just be my personal translator. Did he grow up there or did he he move to Canada or what's his story? Uh, No, he was born in Canada, but his family, much like mine, they defected um, when both Poland and the Czech and I guess Czechoslovakia then. Uh, were under communist or Soviet occupation. So they they moved to Canada. His his father has moved back um, to the Czech Republic since then. 
and uh, his mom is still in in Canmore, actually. Huh. Oh, really? Yeah. So a couple yeah. a couple of beautiful communities halfway around planet Earth there were yes. represented. What have you your first year? You 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 had posted about it a short time ago and kind of reflecting yeah. on the one year anniversary of moving over there. And did, is there something in particular that you that you've taken from it, or did you have a moment of reflection on that one year anniversary day where you? sort of honed in on one specific thing that you've learned or that you focused on or that maybe you've bettered as yourself as a person? Uh, yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me is that I took life in Canada for granted. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, having been there for most of my, for my entire life, the grass always kind of seemed better on the other side. Uh, my sister-in-law moved to Prague about seven years ago. And so watching her thrive, like grow herself and thrive, it just seemed like life was so much better in Europe. And I think moving to Europe is always kind of seen as this glamorous experience. Um, but leaving behind your support network, leaving behind your family, and your friends, that's, that's hard. It's hard. And with the language barrier, it makes it really tough to make friends and to meet anybody. And we still... I can't say we've made a whole bunch of friends. We've made a few. We've even met a few Canadians along the way. Um, yeah, just that we took life for granted. And I'm not saying life here is bad, but, you know, Canada's a great place to live. Was there one thing really in particular, is. like when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're reflecting on that, is there one thing in particular where you'd say, well, that would be an example of the, that you maybe took for granted? Just the general openness of Canadians. You know, you walk into a store and... Um, you know, you'll have someone come up to you, you'll have someone say, hello, how are you? How can I help you? Um, and I know sometimes it can be a little bit frustrating when someone is like chasing you around the store and asking you if you need a fitting room or if you need, every, you know, some help every three minutes. Um, but checks are very reserved. And so when I first moved here, I interpreted that as rudeness. You know, you people don't smile here. So you know how you make eye contact with somebody in Canada and you kind of give them that little kind of smile, acknowledgement, maybe a little nod. You don't get that here. If you smile at somebody, I think they probably think you're a serial killer or you want to steal something from them. Mm. Uh, Dwayne is, <laughs> I'll just let that settle for a second. Uh, Dwayne, <laughs> Dwayne is, uh, did you ever play that game when you were like a teenager? Did you ever play that game with your friends where you had the, the mission was to try to get to the back of the gap, the store, you had to get to the back yes. of the gap and touch the yes. back wall without a staff member greeting you? <laughs> Yes, you, absolutely. Yeah, I remember that. We would bet we would wager like a, a New York fries or something. If you could get to the yeah. back of the gap without a staff member greeting you, that yeah. you would win. And you'd always be so disappointed impossible. when somebody came up and offered to help. Um, uh, Dwayne is watching us on the live chat. He's wondering. How, it's a general question, but I'd be curious to know how you'd answer yeah. it. You're closer to it than we are uh, geographically. Anyway, how you feel about the situation in Ukraine? Is that something that feels like more of an everyday uh, reality? Is there is there a regular reminder uh, where are the Czech people at with that? How are they processing it? What do you see around you? Uh, well, we do see obviously more and more Ukrainian license plates. Yeah. Um, there have been about 400,000 refugees that have come to the Czech Republic. Although I think about half may have either left the country and gone elsewhere in Europe or they've gone back. Um, but yeah, we, our government or the government is, um, you know, talks about it every day and how they're supporting Ukraine, what they're doing, whether they're sending weapons or other resources um, I mean, the Czechs are obviously, they're quite strongly in support of Ukraine. Um, they have their own history with Russia, with the Soviet Union. So there's, you know, there's, there are feelings here mm. for sure. Yeah. How much of a, a commitment have you made to, to stay there? Is this like, a, is this in the experimental stage or are you like, does your son feel like, you know, he, this, this is it, this is where he lives now? 
It, it varies from day to day. So uh -huh. sometimes we'll ask them and we'll say, you know, do you want to go back to school in Canada? Like, would you like to start grade two in Canada? He says, no, I wouldn't go back to Canada in 12 years when I'm done school. Okay. And then there are days where he looks at you, he's having a bad day and he says, mommy, why did we move here? I don't want to be here. I want to go back. I want to see my cousin. Um, but we're still in the experimental phase. We said 18 months when we moved that we would stay for minimum of that long. So that puts us in June, but we're kind of, I'd say 50, 50, you know, if things stay okay here, then we'll probably stick around a bit longer. Um, it just depends on, on the situation, how the situation in Ukraine develops. Inflation is really high here. So we're just kind of watching prices and that kind of thing. Is that right? Like, I mean, it's in Canada, I think the national average, I mean, inflation, it's been, I don't have it right in front of me, but it's like seven, 8%. Um, and it's always strange when you talk to economists to, 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 to realize they say, well, actually Canada's doing pretty well, uh, like seven, yeah. seven and a half percent inflation. We're doing okay because some countries yeah. are looking at 11, 12% or higher. What's it been like over there? It's been 18% what? over the last few months. Yeah. 18%. It just dropped to 15, um, last month, but yeah, we've watched prices increase like literally weekly. And there are some things when I did some price comparisons, just kind of checking the walmart.ca app, there are some things that are more expensive here now than they are in Canada. And I mean, salaries are much lower. So we're, we're lucky. We make, we make a good salary, both of us. Um, but I have, I don't know how some other people are doing it. I really feel for them. Yeah. No challenge. kidding. No kidding. Or where are you seeing it most? Like, I mean, I would imagine, you know, most people would say fuel groceries is, is that yeah. what you're, I mean, you talked about Walmart to a certain degree. Is that where you're seeing it? Uh, food for sure. Uh, fuel, although fuel actually has come down. I think it's, I want to say it's about $2 and 50 cents a liter, which I'm sure will still shock a lot of your, it's your like viewers. Vancouver prices. Yeah. Vancouver prices. Yeah. For a while, Vancouver prices were higher than here, which really surprised us, but, mm. um, $2 and 50 cents a liter, but like natural gas and electricity for sure is where we're seeing the highest increases. I wish I could help you out with park power, but I, I think that's out of their jurisdiction, Aggie. I don't think they can do I it. I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, Hey, Germany tried to get fuel from Canada and they weren't very successful. Yeah, so. that was an, that that story kind of flew under the radar, didn't it? Like I, I think yeah. mostly because it was something that couldn't happen in in like one month or six weeks. Yeah. And so people realized yeah. that, that yeah, those are those conversations of course the prime minister was having with the German chancellor a short while ago. Um, before we let mm -hmm. you go, I don't want to ruin family dinner time. Little 6-year-old no boy is going to be wondering where the hell mummy is. Um, but but I got to ask you in that part of the world, it's obviously beautiful that sort of like Bavarian like German <laughs> and Austrian and Swiss. Yep. Uh, Christmas traditions or holiday traditions. What's it like for you uh, in the Czech Republic? And, and what does your holiday season look like over the next month or so? It's it's absolutely beautiful everywhere you go. So there is um, obviously a giant tree. There's two giant trees in the in the center of Brno. There's Christmas markets in every um, city and every small town. So we were in Bratislava last weekend and we went to their Christmas market and it was just an absolute blast. Um, we have plans to go to Chesky Krumlov, which is another smaller city in on the other side of the country in southern Bohemia. And then we're hoping, fingers crossed, that we can actually make it to Dresden the following weekend for their market. So I'm trying to hit up as many as I can because they're all a little bit different. Um, and I mean, mostly I just want to drink mulled wine. Yeah, that's the market. best part yeah. about it. That's the best part about <laughs> it. It is. And try not to it spend is. all of your allowance at every single booth that you visit at the holiday market, right? So true. Yeah. So true. Aggie, it's so nice to see your face and connect with you. And and we just, we always, 
love when we hear from audience members like yourself. You've been a regular contributor to the show and sending in your thoughts and how you process different interviews and and uh, to know that people are accessing real talk in, in the Czech Republic and Costa Rica and, and Syria and other parts of the world really uh, to us reiterates the importance of having these conversations for in many circumstances, Canadians who are finding the show to be somewhat of a connection uh, to their people, so to speak. It's great. Yeah, it's great. I love what you guys are doing. So keep it up and I'll keep tuning in. for Awesome. Sure. And we'll keep following you on Twitter at Aggie loves eggs. Uh, happy holiday season to you. And thanks for making time for us. Thank you. Happy holidays to you and your families. All right. Beautiful stuff. That's Agatha Smycott. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter. And if, if you're a real talker that's tuning in from somewhere else on planet Earth, uh, we'd love to hear from you. I was thinking, Johnny, that this could also be a cool themed real talk roundtable to get three real talkers in from different parts of the world and, and just check in yeah, and just, just hear what really, your life's like around them, you know? Really jealous of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been to Czech? No, but like when you were speaking about it, like all those places in Europe are just, there's so so much rich history and culture and just the food. When she's talking about the food, it's like you can taste it, right? Oh, man. And the wine and yeah. the, the markets and, oh, take me there now. Yeah, we should go. Take Real the Talk on the jet? road. Can Why we, don't we do it on the Relay Jet? Yeah, I think I think the Relay Jet's busy. It's busy, busy today. But um, it's funny. Hey, like you, you'll be in Czech or, or uh, wherever. Like pick your country, France or England or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, people will be like, you know, we, we're like, look at this beautiful old historic building in Canada. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, they, right. they got buildings that were built in like the 1300s the 1400s yeah. i mean these cathedrals that were built uh, it's just unbelievable and just the vibe I, I assume like with the world cup going on too just oh, being over there must be incredible right yeah. so yeah yeah i'll admit i haven't followed the world I, once, you haven't I, well i was kind of paying attention to what canada was doing so or not doing i didn't either but there have been all these upsets i don't know if you know oh, yeah. like you know, okay england is in the final four and right England is much like the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. If I had to do a hockey kind of equating it to yeah. something, you know, always that very loyal fan base always gets let down. So that's a big. Story. Okay, so it's down to eight right now. So yeah. it'll be England France on Saturday, which sorry has eight, be, yeah, sorry, yeah, that's got to be. But yeah, four four matches to mm-hmm. go. So England France. Uh, Portugal. You you could have offered me a million dollars and I wouldn't have been able to tell you which countries were left. (laughs) Well, look at Uh, me. I already screwed it up. (laughs) (laughs) So Netherlands and Argentina. Yeah. uh, We'll play tomorrow. Uh, Croatia and Brazil. That'll be a good Mm -hmm. one. Brazil's probably going to smoke them, aren't they? And that, but you never know. And then Morocco and Portugal. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Uh, we have no idea what we're talking about, but who do you think is going to win? Who's going to win the World Cup? Who do you think? <laughs> well, we actually did have a World Cup analyst on our uh, uh, oh, on the hedge on the hedge another relay show yesterday. Uh, and he's uh, he's an English guy, so he's obviously rooting for England. But uh, he says uh, he says Portugal's looking very good. Uh, okay, but you can't like this 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 whole World Cup has been a lot of upsets, a lot right. of uh, matches that didn't go the way. You know the experts, the pro betters, even right. said it would go. So because I, I thought, I, I, don't I take saw any that, advice. Like, from Costa Rica me. and Japan were surprising some mm-hmm. people, and there were some. Yeah. Okay. Good. Except well, Canada. For, Canada. for mediocre, <laughs> uh, shallow end of the pool analysis of the World Cup, keep it right here on Real Talk. <laughs> and if you want to hear people who know what they're actually talking about, check out thehedgepod.com. Yeah. There Please. you go. Uh, I want to get to some emails in just a second. Uh, Firearms thoughts from Martin and from Luke, plus a a great email from Jenny that's uh, guaranteed going to make you think these conversations. I mean, uh, you know, Aggie's talking about utilities, natural gas, electricity. You had to know what I was going to tell you about park power, right? Every single day we remind you that you can pay less for your utilities 
by bringing your business over to your friendly local utilities provider. It's simple. It literally takes fewer than five minutes to sign up and you don't have to sit on hold with the the other utilities provider and give them all these reasons and then they they bring on their john you've been through this the customer retention expert and they're like well we hate to see you go what can we do to have you you know park power is going to handle the breakup for you which is great you can ghost your former utilities provider when you bring your business over to park power compare rates today internet electricity and natural gas if you bundle them all you'll save even more and the promo code 2022 real talk knocks 70 off your first bill that promo code is valid until the end of this month so don't delay check out parkpower.ca today at local environmental services they're keeping it local and they have been for 25 years family owned Uh, Front load bins, roll off bins, recycling. If you're listening in from Saskatchewan, uh, from different parts of the province of Alberta, central Alberta, northern Alberta, we're talking to you, White Court. They've got vacuum trucks and water hauling, landfill services in Saskatchewan. Plus, if you're throwing a community event, maybe it's one of those winter markets in northern Alberta, in Edmonton, in Regina, why not look to them? for the different things you're going to need, including like fencing, portable toilets, all of it at localenvironmental.ca. Request your quote today and keep it local. Same goes with our friends at Eden Landscaping. We've been showing off some of their specific projects this week, uh, painting a picture for the podcast and just showing you unbelievable photos on our YouTube stream, like this backyard oasis. This was a feature that wound up on Greenland's garden tour. This was designed and built by Mike and his team. I'm showing you landscapeedmonton.ca right now. You can check it out for yourself. It's it's a pioneer project, uh, a fast favorite among the young neighborhood. The clients were, were a little bit apprehensive because of the ambitious nature of the design. You know, we were talking to Sharon earlier in the show about a lot of the native plants and grasses. That's been a big part of how Mike's been designing projects for a long time. You can pick his brain on those landscaping trends by getting in touch with them today. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you'll find the team at Eden Landscaping. And if you are going to be hitting the highway this winter and you want to stay out of the ditch, you know what I'm talking about? You know, those days, right? Especially the big highways before the plows get out there. Every 500 meters, it seems there's a there's a rig in the ditch waiting for a tow truck to get it out. It takes 48, 72 hours sometimes, depending on how bad conditions are. Now, we can't guarantee that a Jeep will keep you out of the ditch. But what I can guarantee is that you're going to get North America's most reliable four-wheel drive performer. The Jeep brand has been trusted since the 1940s, and you'll find the best selection in the province from Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Plus, check out the Dodge Durango. You need maybe that third row of seating. And of course, the Jeep Grand Wagoneer, an absolutely beautiful machine. That one's going head-to-head against the big luxury brands. You can shop Sherwood Dodge, St. Albert Dodge online or in person. Check out the Sponsors tab on our website. Yeah, man, those are always the mornings, hey, when you see, like, you know, there's there's a vehicle in the ditch every 500 meters. Yeah. And it, a lot of people, you just know the story. They've just decided to <clears throat> take what they need out of the glove box and leave, leave <laughs> yeah. it there. They're going to find a, the, the vehicle. On. It's going to get home when it gets home. Yeah. You, you know, because you know, coming from the south side, you're always like, John, why are you always here 10, 15 minutes late when no. it snows? But, uh, you know, like, coming from the south side, I see at least three people pulled over with oh, their yeah. four wheels on every day yeah and they've got winter tires they've got everything but it's just yeah you know there's still some the people season. out there rocking the summer tires ice they're going they're going hey we only have we only have to get through three more months 
<laughs> only got three more months. So then I'll can... admit I have the M plus S ones on. What are those? That's the all seasons. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go up. Well, they're not all season. They're, they're, they're legal. What's to drive MS is in mud and snow. snow? Is that what mountain that is? and snow? Mountain and snow. But I'm going next week. I'm getting because oh, yeah. already we're sliding. Around. You're finding not sufficient. Yeah, can't yeah. wait till January, February when. We really get into winter. When we get into the blizzard season. <laughs> I feel like I should do a DQ read right now, but I'll hang on to it for a second. <laughs> so, Luke, so we're talking about, and we welcome your emails uh, all the time. We get a ton of them, and we really appreciate it. We try to make time every single show to make sure that we hand you the floor. It's your show, um, and we appreciate your feedback. And we've been talking a lot about Bill C-21 and uh, firearm rights and firearms laws in Canada and talking about gun culture in Canada versus the United States. And obviously, there's a ton to talk about. Dr. Lise Gotell yesterday, um, she had some involvement in, in Ottawa talking about C-21 in the context of domestic violence, for example. If you didn't hear that conversation, uh, make sure you check it out. And we know that many of you will come to this conversation from different points. Neil sent us an email yesterday, and a couple of you wrote in to, to comment on that, including Martin, his email in just a second. But Luke got in touch with us, and he said, you know, we have a, a real schism here in Canada. Uh, he said, you know, it's basically, he says, I would pin it down as the urban versus the rural lifestyle. That's kind of how Luke is, is wrapping his mind around the, this gun conversation. He, he says firearms in Canada are definitely more prominent in rural Canada, he says, because, because like of the firearm safety and, and the use and the uh, basically safe use and a practical understanding of when and how to legally use them. It's mostly restricted to outside of the big cities, you know, where, where illegal use and the abuse of firearms uh, more generally occurs that from Luke he says they are they're ingrained in our society guns are and with an estimated 7.1 million guns in Canada uh, banning and confiscating firearms is neither reasonable nor practical he says that uh, my opinion may not be popular uh, but I think it's worth considering he says I think in high school firearm safety and CPR should both be taught in grade 12. He says more people being educated on what guns are allowed in Canada, how guns are intended to be used in Canada, and knowing how to safely handle and store guns in Canada is a good thing. Luke says, I think in the big cities, only one story is seen about guns. You know, they're, they're not these magical death sticks that are only used by criminals. And I really believe that everybody should be educated and have a functioning understanding of firearm safety so in the future we can have a more educated debate. He says, I'm curious to know what other real talkers will think. That from Luke. What do you think about a firearm safety course? I think that people would, I, I, I honestly think, and Luke says this may not be a popular idea. I think you're right about that. Uh, and I'm not cracking personally on the idea necessarily, but I think there'd be huge pushback to people if there was a requirement to train on firearms before purchasing, is that it, what you're no, 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 no. I'm talking like in or... high school curriculum, oh. firearm safety. It just seems like a bit of a, I understand what Luke's saying. There's 7 million guns in Canada. There's, mm. there's, you know, I mean, gun ownership, the ratio of gun ownership in Canada is actually higher than the U S in a lot of contexts, uh, specifically with hunting rifles and the so-called long guns. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that everybody wants them. It doesn't mean everybody's comfortable with them. It doesn't mean that everybody's interested in learning how to handle them. I will acknowledge, I do think that there's a, a deficiency in understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the people that participate in debate around gun legislation don't know as much 
as they should mm -hmm. about firearms. I think that's a fair statement to make. I think this would be something that you'd maybe want to play out in the States first before coming to Canada, because I feel like in the States, you probably do need some sort of course in high school to at least know how, because just because of all the issues going on, uh. school shootings and whatever, like, I think but it's not the school shootings have nothing to do with firearms safety. They have, I know, they have but, to do with firearms access. You no, know, but you also hear about kids at home, you yeah, know, sure, grabbing yeah. guns and pointing them at other kids and not knowing the safety's off. And we we hear about all that tragic stuff too. So maybe, maybe it would help. I don't know. Something's yeah. got to be done though, because yeah. it's it's out of control down there. Tracy in our live chat says, in the past, students could learn about firearms in hunters training, mm -hmm. um, and now they they can learn about it in something called. Outdoor or outside education in junior high, it's a combination of online and in-person learning. Um, whew, how about this from Kim? I like this comment. She says, I think we need to teach our boys in particular uh, more tools or, or, or more enlightenment along the lines of emotional intelligence before firearm training. That's an interesting one. Man, if you could rewrite the high school curriculum... <laughs> Right. I mean, people talk about what about learning about credit? I was just what about thinking, learning about finances. Yeah. What about learning? They don't really. I know there's calm. Well, do they still have calm career and life mm -hmm. management had a way back in the day? But but even then, yeah. we, we do we really teach kids about the tangible, practical stuff they need to know? I don't think and so. I don't want to use the word sad, but it, it's kind of sad that we're talking like we need emotional uh, intelligence training. We need gun training. We need, you know, yeah. managing finance training in high school. It's actually like the state of the world, right? Like, what about teaching? Those are all to, the more important things than yeah. learning science calculus. and math. And, you know. yeah. Although calculus is important for sure. But but like I would, uh, you know, I mean, I think also, you know, teaching people how to how to recognize valid sources of information, how to teach people to mm -hmm. to sniff out red flags when it comes to to fake news online or misinformation or disinformation. I mean, these are the tools that people need mm -hmm. to learn and have. And I don't know that that I, I wouldn't say high school students. I don't know the grown ass adults have that ability, quite frankly. I see evidence of it all around me that they don't. And I, I know what you're saying when you say you don't, you don't want to put guns in, in kids' hands, you know, but well, like, yeah, I, I mean, you've seen some of the kids we've had on here today. They're so much more advanced. They're so much more mature. They're so much more intelligent than we were when we were younger. So I don't know. I, I think maybe it could help. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know what you think, Real Talkers. This one from Martin. Uh, he says, in response to Neil's message, Ryan, which you read earlier in the week on C21 on the, the so-called gun law, he says, uh, I grew up on a farm and we had guns and we all had the talk that guns are a privilege. Uh, they're a tool with the sole function to kill and no amount of responsibility around guns could ever be enough. And part of that responsibility in involves the acknowledgement that one day we may be asked to give them up. We used guns on the farm to put down livestock that was suffering, uh, thankfully, rarely. Uh, and contrary to the established talking points, there's no great threat to livestock from wildlife. Oh, boy. He says some threats, yes, depending on the area where one lives, but there's no great epidemic of wolves and bears and even coyotes killing livestock. We're going to hear from some farmers on this one, I know for sure. He says even if one was to see livestock being attacked, they would have to have their firearm with them to take any action. I never knew of even one farmer who transported guns with them out of caution. I'm grateful for my upbringing. I have family members that hunt. There's no lack of exposure to firearms. When one talks about the Canadian tradition of hunting, says Martin, that in no way guarantees that it has to involve firearms. Hmm. Says if we want to get into the weeds, you could say that the tradition of hunting actually originates with the First Nations. And for tens of thousands of years, they, as all of humanity, did so without firearms. 
So any talk about the connection between hunting and firearms is contemporary human development. It's not hypocritical, he's referencing Neil's email, to enjoy movies that feature firearms and still be against firearms. One is fiction and the other is real life. Uh, one should be able to make that distinction. Nobody's cheering for the firearms in the movies. They're cheering for the good guys. The firearms are an action mechanism, right? It says, keep in mind, the use of firearms in any movie revolves around force, around killing. One can watch those movies and not want to celebrate that in the real world. When Neil talks about the high regulation of firearms, uh, high regulation to whom, wonders Martin. That's the whole issue here, isn't it? Those that think there are too many regulations and those that think there are not enough. If Neil is so proud about firearms being regulated, should he not welcome any and all regulation? The growth in gun sales to women should not be celebrated at all. No increase in firearm sales should be celebrated. It's a troubling indicator. As I say, firearms have only one purpose. They're a tool with no branch of uses. Having the firearm conversation with others, what about target practice? Often a regular response. Well, what are you targeting in the practice? Why are you doing it? It's about being accurate for the kill. Society should be greatly concerned that more people are taking on tools specifically designed to kill. Martin says it's unfortunate to see Neil, the real talker, fall into a hole of political propaganda. Justin Trudeau does not love wedge issues more than any other prime minister. Basic policy is not a wedge issue. Having different policy initiatives is not divisive. There's no malicious intent. Uh, there's no pitting of groups against each other. Martin says, I had no love of Stephen Harper, but I understood that he was a, of a political stripe that I simply did not agree with. That's what having different parties and platforms is all about. Uh, no one's beating on gun owners. As a self-admitted enjoyer of firearms, Neil should understand the risks and the privileges and understand that as part of the great responsibility, he and others can and should be asked to give up more. A responsible citizen would see that firearm ownership is a privilege, one that is granted by society. I'm glad that Neil brought up emotion. Martin says he's guilty of this himself, a product of the human condition. His entire email is about emotion. This is the heart of identity and how we see ourselves. This is Neil's own identity politics. Emotion is why emails like Neil's are typed out. And Martin, maybe yours too. He says, we live in a governed society. That means laws and regulations. You know, there's no absolute, the concept of gun owners. That's something that is granted. And in the greater sense of the universe, nothing is absolute, not even existence. The universe simply does not care. Everything we have on this earth is a result of humans willing it to exist. Part of being a responsible citizen is to share one's voice, to be informed, and to change our habits or practices when our self-governed laws change. Which is more important to Neil, being a legal owner or being an illegal one? Is his love of firearms so great he would be willing to become an illegal owner? Martin says Neil standing up for his hobby is admirable, but standing up also has to come with responsibility to the full understanding of the entire issue. One might be the most responsible by the book firearm owner, but there's a broader responsibility to understand how the hobby is impacting society. How many people need to be threatened? need to be killed to enable the hobby of a few. Saying a few may sound harsh, but it is the reality. A responsible citizen would give up the thing they like, the thing they love, if it meant stopping the needless deaths and other violence that results from firearms ownership writ large. Thank you for your time. That from Martin. I know not everyone's going to agree with Martin either. That's not the point. 
We don't bring these emails to you because we agree with them all the time. We bring them to you. We present them to you after they've gone through our vetting process because they've made us think because they've added nuance to discussions because they make points that are outside of the points that we would make in our sphere or our realm of understanding and we're so grateful for them and as we wrap here i wanted to present this email from jenny this is a big one this is about kanye west and i know i promised you i'd try to limit my conversation about kanye west this is getting heavy here the alex jones stuff that interview just went off the rails mm-hmm. i mean kanye just implicitly and, and directly and clearly stating that he has admiration for adolf hitler to me was just the point where we say i think we're done talking about this mm-hmm. uh but jenny's email we wanted to wrap the show with this to get you thinking on it she and by the way a happy hanukkah to all of our jewish audience members the friends of the show uh it was wonderful to celebrate in person a little bit last night with some dear friends jenny says shabbat shalom and shavatov says one evening a couple of weeks ago before it got too cold to go anywhere after dark i ran over to the neighbors for a quick drink Uh, One of those visits where you're only planning to stay for half an hour because it's a work night. You know, had a few other guests as well. Among them, a young fella I'd never met before. After I'd been there for a little while, I heard the young fella burst into raucous laughter. And he said something along the lines of, you could see the little guy's little Jew hat just spinning. Jenny says there were a couple conversations going on. And and so I, I don't know the context of the comment. And you know what I said to him? Absolutely nothing. That's what I said. I was the only Jew in the room. And as far as I know, my house is the only Jewish house in the entire area. I'm not super keen on giving potential anti-Semites any openings. But you know what? No one else said anything either. Now, do I believe that this young man is a violent anti-Semite? No. I think he was a kid in a room full of people twice his age, and he was feeling some kind of a way. But would I stake my safety on that assumption? Not nice cubes, chance in hell. And that's a fine distinction, Jenny says, that I think a lot of people miss. Acknowledging that I do not speak for all Jews, never mind all minorities, it isn't that we walk around all the time twitching at every small sound because we think that we're in permanent, perpetual physical danger. It's that things that might not seem like a big deal to you make me more than a little nervous. Because how am I meant to know at a glance who out in that big wide world is a threat to me and who's not? It doesn't matter that you have, why you have that Canada flag on your truck. I'm going to avoid your vehicle because I have no way to tell the good bearded white dudes from the bad ones. It isn't that the sort of jokes that I discussed above are, are, are all that harmful on the surface, but they create and reinforce an environment where people who are the subject of these jokes and these comments and these tropes are othered and alienated no matter how subtly and they reinforce a tribalist attitude that's nearly impossible to eradicate. She goes on to say, it's not that we give all that much of a fuck what Kanye West thinks about us. It's that as Sapria mentioned on Real Talk last Friday, He has twice as many followers on social media as there are Jews worldwide. Anti-Semitism is particularly insidious because it's built into global society and Christianity in some pretty fundamental ways. She says, I know, right? I'm out here just making all the friends today Uh, from Jenny. She says, I think the way that anti-Semitism lingers in our culture is possibly almost solely because it goes unexamined. And I really want to encourage real talkers to take the time to learn a little bit about anti-Semitic tropes, the blood libel, the decide myth, the global conspiracy. Jew hate neither became nor ended with the Shoah. 
and it is not restricted to one end of the political spectrum or the other. We need to zoom out to understand the full extent of what's at play. She says the UN Human Rights Commission uh, has some great uh, elements uh, that people can learn about anti-Semitic discourse, but I'm sure that any local rabbi could point any audience member to better resources than I ever could. And once you have an understanding of how all this leads us to where we are, please speak up. Jenny says, I've heard people say they don't say anything because they'll never be able to change anything, but this isn't about you. A brief moment of discomfort for you makes a safe person for people in your life, and it could save one of your fellow human beings from harassment or worse. She says, anyway, off my soapbox. Thanks for considering reading the email on the show, and I want to wish all the Real Talkers, a great rest of their week. That from Jenny. Unbelievable stuff. I appreciate the perspective check. You can let us know how this resonates with you. We welcome your feedback anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll check back in with Sapria Devetti. And of course, we're going to be presenting another Real Talk Roundtable. Thanks to our friends at Urban Timber. Really looking forward to that discussion. In the meantime, make it a great day, friends. Go pick yourselves up. It is blizzard season. Go pick yourselves up a treat from the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park. Sign up for the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic on our website and we'll see you live streaming at 8.30 Mountain, 10.30 Eastern on Friday's Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com. 